Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today is actually sort of a listener suggestion topic that we have because... My friend Brittany sort of suggested this. Oh, is that... You know her? Yeah, yeah. I had posted a picture that was sort of a little teaser of an upcoming episode that was actually supposed to be today's episode, but it will probably be our next episode. So I'm going to keep that as a surprise and (laughs) asked people to guess what the topic was and Brittany's asked if it was on book organization and we liked that idea so we decided to take it as a topic and run with it so yay for other people giving us ideas i know thank you all we have a couple of (laughs) topics i will say i'm very excited about (laughs) i'm very very excited about one in particular That will be probably next month that we'll we'll tackle that one. Yeah. But the, yeah, the book organization one is interesting. I don't think we've talked much about that. We've referenced it for sure about our large, large book collections that we both have. But right. I don't think we've ever really talked about some of the specifics that we thought maybe would be fun to dive into today. And it's something that everyone, all book lovers have opinions on. And so I think that... I Just in our personal conversations, I think we felt like we had touched on it enough to make it that it didn't need its own episode, but then we were sort of talking about all these different facets of it and various decisions. And we're like, oh yeah, we probably could. And everyone, everyone thinks about it. It's not something that's like, oh, a couple of, you know, one, one side of the book world thinks about this. The whole book book world thinks about this. So it has very strong opinions about it too. I think we can just kind of dive in and talk. Let's start by talking a little bit about how we have our books organized. Do you want to start there? And then we could talk about some of the other aspects that we we want to cover. Yeah, let's do that. Why don't you go first on that? Okay. I have a lot of physical books. If you look at our Instagram, I have posted pictures of my home library, which is beautiful. And I feel so lucky that I have a whole room that is just devoted to books. It has floor to ceiling bookshelves. So I have a lot of physical books. And generally, I organize them alphabetically by author's last name and just all started A, end at Z, kind of all mushed together. I don't break them out into genre or anything like that. However, I do have sort of special collections that I pull. I pull out my mass market paperback romances into a separate little section, but also that's organized alphabetically by author. And then I talked about this in our episode where we talked about reading resolutions. I have my 23 to read in 23, and those get their own shelf to make sure that they stay front and center to me um, visually. Mm-hmm. And then I have nonfiction pulled out. So everything else is generally organized alphabetically. And then I have started to accumulate more print arcs than I used to, so advanced readers' copies. And so I am keeping those separate. I used to not have very many of those or get very many of those. And so I would just sort of interfile them with my other books or keep them in a little stack because they were ones I wanted to read soon. Uh, But I'm getting more. So now I have a whole separate bookcase in one of our guest bedrooms and I put them in there because I can organize those by publication date because I, Mm. I want to be able to easily see if there are some upcoming books that I want to read pre-publication to talk about on my Instagram or talk about here or whatever it might be that I, I can easily see that when they're coming out. Right. So I like generally I have an organization method, but then I have specific cases where that changes. 
do do so do you file your books it doesn't matter whether you've read them or not they all just get alphabetized right. together right. Okay. right i have a tendency to give away a lot of books once i've read them mm-hmm. and we're going to talk i think a little bit here in a minute about how we choose whether to buy or borrow a book from the library if i've read a book that i think somebody will like in my life and i have a lot of people in my life that also like to read but aren't quite the avid reader that i am then i will pass it along and I generally say don't worry about giving this back to me Mm -hmm. so the majority of the books on my shelf or shelves are unread there are books if there's a book that I really like and I read it and I don't give it away and I think we talked about this actually last time or the time before I'm actually trying to be better about not immediately giving books away because I have found that I've regretted that sometimes so I now yes I'm keeping them and I just interfile them right with my unread books interesting all right so tell me about you it's so that's what's interesting is like I can't imagine doing my books the way that you do but there's nothing wrong with it it's just it's just not the way I do it and so right. I'm like whoa that's a choice I never considered <laughs> <laughs> and everyone has them right um okay so <laughs> my books I have a lot of them are Kind, okay, so there's the difference of books you I've read. You have a complicated system. <laughs> it's a complicated system. So the books I've read, I organize by children's and sort of by genre within children's. And then that's it. I don't do anything like I don't have enough of them really to, to matter um, of mm-hmm. making it alphabetized or anything. So more more just sticking, sticking genres together. Um, and then YA is the same thing. And then the books I've actually read... I organize by nationality. <laughs> You're such a nerd. <laughs> and, and then within each nationality, chronologically. <laughs> and, then, and then, but like, I don't, you know, split out. It's not very strict. So like Jane Austen's first book is the start of all of Jane Austen. To, right. Like, so it isn't where it's, you know, other things are interfiled with Jane Austen. She all goes together. Right. It's just that it's going to be chronological within her books based on when her first book was published. Right. So, so see, actually, so this is something, and then you can get back because I know you have not finished talking about your system. Mm-hmm. This is actually something I struggle with a little bit with my alphabetical order because when I have something in a series, right. I, have to, I debate about... Do I do it in order of series publication or do I do it alphabetical by, or yes, by title within the author's last name? And that's something I struggle. I kind of go, I flip flop on that. Right now everything's alphabetical by title, but sometimes I change my mind and I reorganize and put it back. Because it's like you can have little subsets. Right. Like other other organizational systems as a subset. And both ways are logical. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can, you kinda, in, internally, I can make an argument either way. So, all right, right. continue. So, yeah. So that's that's the stuff that I've read. And I really enjoy that because I like, I think national identity is really fascinating. And so to see, like, all the French books together versus right. all the English books versus all the American books. Like, I just find it fascinating to look Nationality at Nationality of author? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so even I get I'll get really strict within that. So even like Bram Stoker isn't with British literature; it's Irish literature. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty fun. And so then the books that I haven't read, I alphabetize by title because I like 
to have the mix of things together. Mm-hmm. So, which I, I know for lots of people that they would struggle with it and, and it's very anti-library, mm-hmm. but I think it's really fun to be, because I used to read my books alphabetically when I was growing up. And oh so, my gosh. I, when I was little, had this grand plan in my head. I was going to read the library bookshelves. In yes. Order. Yes. Oh, I don't think so I ever fun. made it past A, but no. I would try multiple times by starting to check out the, the books on the shelf. Yeah. That were yeah, 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 yeah. I did the same thing, but not not the entire library. It was the, I just started with the biographies was, that I would go through. Now, I can't recall how old I would have been if it would have been the children's section or the adult, but anyway. Yeah. Because I don't think there was really a teen section when I was growing up. It was such a good plan. I wonder why that couldn't work out. <laughs> I wonder why that fell apart literally every single time yeah. I went to the library yeah. and there was a new book that was yeah. in that first spot. <laughs> my fa- So it, my sister who listens to this will attest to the fact that my family just railed against my alphabetic, alphabet, uh, alphabetized reading system um, because they're like, you never get past A. You right. never do because you just keep adding and you never, mm-hmm. you never get past it. And you also read library books and you also read other I things. Know. And... There's a giant uh, joke with my my grandmother when she was alive that she had sent me this book that was like a local author to uh, the town in Utah where she lived that was, it was called White Indian Boy. And it starts with a W and she would always ask me when I was reading it and I would say, well, I can't because it starts with W and I'm only in the A's and she would get so frustrated with me. And so it became this like long-standing joke of all the things I would rather read first before I ever got to, got to White, White Indian, Indian Boy. Boy. Yeah. Um, I did eventually read it. I Once I uh, dealt with my OCD acu- a- uh, adequately, then I mm-hmm. was able to branch out a little bit more. And so that was helpful to me. But anyway, so when I'm, when I have my non, my books, you know, I don't read my books alphabetically anymore, but I like the idea of a project that's, that's like, I'm going to read this, this shelf in order. Right. And look at all the things that are, that are next to each other that are varied because I like variety so much. So, so that's how I have that organized. And I, I find that really satisfying. And then I have my print arcs, Uh, on their own and I just recently did another I think I talked about this recently too I did a big uh, purge of those Mm -hmm. and so that's really just sort of one tier of my my bookshelves are are like six feet by six feet big units and so one one tier of of shelves in that is is all arcs and uh, really trying hard not to let it get past that Mm -hmm. (laughs) anymore yeah, and then I have a giant a giant stack on my uh, bedside table that's probably uh, three feet tall of, oh my gosh. of books that are my next to read that I literally never touch. So, so that's so funny because I was just they're everywhere right now, but so I would just be very trendy if I were to do this. But they have those <laughs> book carts that everybody yes. posts. You know, they're like pastel colored book carts. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. But I was thinking that might be a nice way to organize books that you kind of want to keep top of mind, but without keeping them out somewhere that, because I don't have a lot of surfaces where I want to keep a stack of books. Like I right. like keeping my nightstand pretty empty. And even if I put books there, those don't tend to be the ones that I go and pick up. I don't know why. And so I was thinking about one of those book carts as being a good option to and I would rotate in and out from there based on if something's out there for a month or two and I didn't pick it up, I'd probably reshelve it and 
say, okay, this just isn't the time for this one. But right. the problem is I am just such a mood reader that any plan I make for reading, which I realize is not the topic of our conversation, but <laughs> any plan I make for reading just immediately falls apart. I have such right. good, like, I love the idea of a project. I love the idea of an orderly system of choosing books, all those things, but it just never works for me. I just, I need to recognize that about myself because it yeah. never, ever works. I just yeah. always, I'm such a mood reader. I'm such a new and shiny thing I want to read or this book is due back at the library so I need to right. read this next kind of, right. I just, that's just the way I, I operate as a reader. So it's funny, maybe there's no system that's ever going to, to actually force me to read certain books because I just don't read like that. But yeah, but yeah. I was thinking one of those carts or something would be nice because if there's an arc, like there are several arcs right now that our upcoming publications in April and May that I really for sure want to read, hopefully before they come out, because I would like to talk them up a bit. Like if they, if I end up liking them, I don't want to lose sight that, that, that I have those sitting on my shelf. So. Right. Yeah. It gets really tricky and, and mm-hmm. it's a little, a little bit of a, of a humble brag, I suppose, but mm-hmm. we, ha- we both just have a lot of books mm-hmm. filtering into our physical spaces right. all the time. Right. And, it's a great problem to have for sure, but it also is a, it, I, I really had to recognize last or in the years I've been on the committee mm-hmm. that it gets to be not fun to mm-hmm. be processing mm-hmm. books coming in all the time just because of the, of the volume of it and trying to figure out solutions of where to store them and, mm-hmm. and how to organize them. It's fun at first. And then when you're like, oh, now I'm not reading the stuff because I feel like all I'm doing is dealing with the books then it's mm-hmm. it's not as much fun but or if you are like me and I've just had stacks and stacks just piled up on my floor organized right by genre and stuff would get hidden and yeah 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 and you and you don't want to lose those things to me my ultimate goal in any organization system and when I see other people's I'm curious how they do it the main thing to me is to keep the books visible and and top of mind that I am going to be most likely to want to read and I know that sounds silly but it's like we are always talking about obviously we have a podcast about books we're always talking about books I'm I listen to other podcasts about books I read about books so there there's just this constant flood of information about books and I'm a pretty wide fiction reader I don't read a ton Mm -hmm. of nonfiction, but I I read pretty widely within fiction so there are a lot of books across my radar that I think oh I'd like to read that I would like to read that but there are certain books that I think I would like to read that are going to be more likely to be a really good reading experience than a just, oh, I liked it. It was good. Move on to the next book kind of reading experience. So for example, Kate Morton has a new book coming out this spring. I love Kate Morton. She's one of the authors that I just referenced where she has a book coming out that I would like to prioritize reading. I don't want to get to the fall and think, oh my gosh, I never read that Kate Morton book. Right. And the reason I say that is because I've loved pretty much every single Kate Morton book I've ever read. The whole reason is to have a better reading life. It's to have a more fulfilling reading life, again, where you're not reading a whole bunch of three-star books, you're reading five-star books. And so I think that that's why I get interested in organizing books and how you pull from those books to select what to read kind of thing. Right. There's so many things to consider. And then the other thing is we've talked about this before, but I think you are in the same boat as I am. I have a lot of digital Mm -hmm. advanced readers copies that I download because they sound interesting. 
and then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So one way I've tried to rectify that is digitally organize them in a Goodreads account so I can look very quickly and see. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's easy to sort. And <laughs> I was just lamenting to Anne this week or last week that I would really actually like to get away from Goodreads because it's not, I don't always find it to serve the purposes that I would like it to serve, but I have mm-hmm. so much history of collecting my ratings and to-be-read books on Goodreads that I have a hard mm-hmm. time thinking of moving to a different site. Uh, but anyway, but so by putting those all on Goodreads, I can sort in various ways. So I can sort by publication date. I can sort by author, last name. I can sort in different ways and see, see the book covers and stuff um, in a way that just seeing the list of titles in my Kindle app doesn't do right. for me. Right. There's so many systems. It kind of it, like there's just so many ways to do everything. <laughs> there's no right way. <laughs> so then, okay, so we've talked a bit about how we have quite large libraries of physical books. How do you decide what to buy for yourself versus what books you get out from the library or borrow from a friend or something? I almost never buy fiction, which is kind of crazy because I'm a fiction reader primarily. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I feel like, I mean, it's a little bit hard to say right now, too, because of the fact that I'm getting a ton of books from publishers. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's sort of a different beast than uh, what it used to be. But at this point, if I buy a fiction book, it's because I it's a known author that I have a track record with or I'm actively collecting that series, I would say, like I -hmm. I buy Louise Penny books. Although not when they come out, I usually buy them because I'm also behind on reading that that mm-hmm. series. Um, I usually will buy uh, used copies of, of those mm-hmm. books. But um, there are a lot of, of authors that I enjoy and love, but I don't f- have a need to keep their books. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I'm thinking about what I'm going to keep versus what I'm going to give away versus what I'm going to check out from the library, a lot of it comes down to is this a book that I think I'll reread is, mm-hmm. is one consideration, but also is this a book that I think represents my identity? Hmm. And so there are lots of books that I rate five stars that I don't have any interest in keeping because to me, it's not, uh, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like representative of the, of the library that is my personality, I guess. <laughs> and so I'm much more likely to, to keep a Gothic novel as a per- permanent fixture than like a, a random literary fiction or, or romance, because that to me doesn't represent my core right. personality. There are definitely exceptions there for, for sure. But as I've looked at my shelves, I've realized like, oh yeah, this is sort of the books that I'm keeping are things that I just think of as being innately me. And so that's a, and sometimes I do think, oh, this is this is a book that I'm trying to think of of an example of of something like I kept the Gunkle, for example, Aww. where that's not a book that I that that I would think jumps out at me, but I I really really loved it, and mm-hmm. so so I am trying to sort of think a little bit more of what what do I just love, and mm-hmm. and you know don't have to have it be this clear representation right. of my personality, but but that's not how I tend to pick the stuff that I'm going to keep um but for sure most of the things i i when i first started book collecting i i was like oh well i anything that sounds good to me i'll just buy it because that was Mm -hmm. sort of the early days of amazon and i 
didn't understand how credit cards worked. And so, um, so I was doing a lot of that. And then, and then thankfully broke out of that and realized, oh, the library is my better friend. Um, and so, so most of what I most, mostly now I think I'm just going to check it out. And if I really love it, I'll buy a copy of it. Yeah. What do you think? So for me, I go in phases between buying books and then thinking, I don't need to buy these books. I read them right. in a couple of hours. I will just use the library. Right. But I do like supporting my local booksellers. So I will buy books, but I don't tend to have the, I don't, I don't have a philosophy like you do. What I, what, the books I would tend to buy are the ones that I think would get passed around among, mm. that I could pass along to my mom or my sisters. Or, yeah, yeah. It tends to go through everybody's hands. If I like it and I hand it to my mom and then she'll give it to my sisters or vice versa, then I think multiple people would get enjoyment out of reading it. Sometimes I'll buy it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's to support an author. Sometimes it's because I really, my preferred format in general is trade paperback. I don't know why. I just really like reading books that are trade paperback size. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's just a matter of, I think to myself, if it's a longer, not like an extremely long book, because then I'll probably go with Kindle just for portability reasons. But if it's a long enough book that I think for some reason I find that satisfying to read, like the hardcover seems heavy or mm-hmm. like cumbersome, but there's something satisfying to me about the trade paperbacks. Sometimes I'll do that. I don't know. I'm a sort of a capricious book buyer. I do like re- buying used books at library book sales. That's one of my... Mm-hmm prime methods that's how I've accumulated a lot of books where I will be at a library book sale and I'll think oh that's a book I wanted to read when it came out I never got around to it I'll grab it or that's a that's an author I really love I would love to reread their book uh, whatever it might be and so I'll grab a one dollar two dollar copy of it something like that yeah and then but generally I mean I generally am a library user I would say especially when I was working in a library I right. rarely rarely bought a book when right. I was working in the library, there was just no reason to. I mean, I had such easy access. Uh, there was really no reason to buy. Uh, now I buy more just because I, I like all the reasons I just said. I, I like supporting our local bookstores. I like sometimes having the book on my shelf to just just the availability of it. If it's mm-hmm. a book that I think I want to read, sometimes it's nice to just be able to walk over the shelf and pull it off and I, I've said it a million times. I'm a mood reader, so sometimes I just like having the the availability of a book versus having to put it on hold at the library and wait a few days to go pick it up. So, but yeah, I don't have like an overarching philosophical plan about what I read versus what I borrow. I would say, uh, yeah, I tend to borrow more than I buy. Yeah. I, I would say that for fiction for me, uh, and, and I, a big motivator of me buying books is supporting my, my bookstore here. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but I but I I tend to think of nonfiction as things I'm likely to keep more often, mm-hmm. um, for because I buy a lot of cookbooks and things like that. And so I'm always it always cracks me up a little bit when I'm in there because it's it's uh, the bookshop in Nashville. I'll I'll give, give them a, a little out. shout out. I, they're yeah. a good they're a good follow on Instagram. Oh, they're so pretty. You know who else is a good bookstore to follow on Instagram? Novel Neighbor, which oh. is in I think St. Louis maybe. I'm not sure where they are, but I've heard the owner on several podcasts that I listen to. Mm-hmm. I just started following them on Instagram and they are a good Instagram follow. They do lots of recommendations. Ooh, I will link to that. That sounds yeah. fun. 
um but at the so at the bookshop they have one side is fiction one side is nonfiction, and i swear i never go over to the fiction side because i know all of it and mm-hmm. i i have most of those books anyway and so um so i just kind of poke around in nonfiction, and and i find i find that uh, for my for my book buying dollar that feels the most satisfying mm. to me so i definitely have a bias towards buying longer books that are yeah. maybe for because I mostly just buy fiction but something that's 400 pages or or longer is going to get my money quicker than something that's 200 pages yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. because just I you read those so fast so then yeah. it's, it feels less I don't know why less you worthy. should buy you should definitely buy Babel because it's yes. it's long <laughs> and it has footnotes yes. and the print is tiny and so you get so much out of it. <laughs> get so, but see, that's one that's almost so long enough that I would want to read on my Kindle. But hearing there are footnotes, I don't know if it would be a good Kindle book. I don't know. I don't I'll know. It's All not right, a ton any... of footnotes. It's just a little bit of footnotes. But okay. Okay. It's it'd be it'd be worth your money. <laughs> okay. I have thought about buying that one. I have thought about when it comes out in paperback. Other book organization or book collecting topics that I know there was one you wanted to cover. So this is my opening to tell you. Is it crimes against book organization? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I just wanted to draw attention to how strongly people feel about their book or- organization mm-hmm. systems and the things that many librarians feel are crimes against them. And so one of them, the one I see the most often is color coding in if color coding your shelves. And what what are your feelings on a, on a color-coded shelf? I don't mind color-coding, and I'll tell you why. First of all, you do you. I don't, you know, yeah. it, that does yeah. not affect me one iota if you decide to color-code yourself. Shelves. Yeah. But I'll tell you why I think it's actually maybe a good system for people is because often people remember the cover of a book more than they remember the title. Yeah. So yeah. if you can remember that the book is blue and that's all you can remember about it, then you walk over to your blue shelf and you scan the titles and then you figure out what book it was. Where my brain is more title and author driven. Right. So my system works for me in that way. But I don't have a problem. And I think it's, I honestly think it looks pretty to have color-coded shelves. It totally does. And and. I, I think my my struggle with it a little bit more is that I, I feel like it is something that's often driven by uh, Instagram versus mm-hmm. versus actual actual reading. And so that can that can sometimes frustrate yeah. me where I'm like, oh, do these not not necessarily bookstagrammers, but like design accounts right. where right. all the books are color coded. And I think, oh, that's the, do these people actually read these books or are they right? Are they uh is it just a, a prop, essentially? Right. Um, but I very much enjoy bookstagram accounts where it's it's people just reorganizing their books mm-hmm. all the time and doing it in various color coded ways. And and sometimes it's like, oh, here are all of my here's color coded. But sometimes it's you know I'm turning out all of the Sarah J. Moss books right. or whatever. Like it's it's just fun to see those yes. things. It would 100% drive me bonkers to do it that way myself, even though right. I'm very very visual and I'm. Yeah super 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 driven by the way things look so i i completely understand the 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 mindset behind it but Mm -hmm. also my degree demands that i can't do that so Uh, um, the organization system that i cannot get behind is and i don't see it really ever anymore but it was a thing for a while where people turned the 
spines inward. Yep. yep. So you're that's just what I listed as. <laughs> that's the ultimate crime. I mean, what's the point then? I, right. That's that truly is just aesthetic, and that is not about finding a book ever. Right. Well, the thing that drove me nuts about that is that it wasn't even done in a way that looked it looked pleasing. It just was everything is kind of stuck on there, and it's not flush, and it's just. <laughs> It didn't even look textured to me. It just looked, it looked like, like some intern had to go and quickly turn all of them really quickly (laughs) to the, to, so they could take the picture. And then, and then that was it. It, I I can, I can understand it more if you're, there's, I mean, I I don't think you should do it if you actually are reading those books, but if Mm -hmm. you just want to fill some shelf space and you want it to look neutral and Mm -hmm. interesting, I can understand that, but at least take the time to make it to make it look nice yeah yeah I mean for me I'm I'm a function person right and so that is just not a functional right right for me as a reader I just that would never work so that's the one I kind of can't get behind but uh but yeah ever other everything else to each to each their own I'd be curious (laughs) to know if any of our listeners want to share what their systems are or if they've stumbled on something that they think would really work for you or for me I'd I'd be curious about that if they have any yes. suggestions. So please That'd do tell us if, if you do, because I'm always looking for ways to make my reading life the best it can be. And I yeah. feel like this is a part of it. Or just to recomplicate things because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> or just because it's fun to reorganize shelves sometimes. Right. <laughs> All right. We will be right back with what we are reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I am listening to a book that's very much not my normal kind of book. It is called Snowstorm in August by Marshall Karp. And I started reading this for a professional commitment and kind of thought I would just do what I needed to do with it and then quit. And then I've been so shocked by how engaged I've been with it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was very... Uh, very strange to me. So in the first scene, it, it opens with an old woman looking out from her apartment over Central Park. And she is a wealthy old woman. And she has this awesome apartment. And she is shocked to see that it's snowing in August over the park. And she thinks that she's lived a long life. And she's seen many shocking things. And she's told that uh, climate change is a thing now that she doesn't completely understand. And this must just be a part of that. And she's never dreamed that that uh, the world could could change that much. And it's it's very surprising to her. But she can't see that on the street, people are falling over and going into cardiac arrest and seizures. And birds are literally dropping out of the sky. Oh, my gosh. And the police officer calls it in to to wherever police officers call things into and says this isn't snow this is cocaine falling from the sky so yeah i'm intrigued right (laughs) right that was the thing that got me where i was like oh this book and then i'm all oh this is interesting so basically after a family tragedy the leader of um a drug cartel whose whose name i don't remember and didn't write down his name is joaquin alborato he decides he's going to take revenge for this family tragedy on the place that to him represents everything that has has ruined his life, which is New York City. 
And so he organizes his cartel to methodically sweep over Central Park in a helicopter that sort of fitted as a share crop or not a share crop, a, a crop duster plane mm-hmm. uh, with thousands of pounds of uncut cocaine just pouring out of it. So this, of course, is a, dec- a declaration of war. Okay. Um, but recent political changes in the NYPD organization mean that the officers who were qualified to handle that level of terrorism have all been let go. Um, and there's a there's a, a big part of the book that uh, covers a, a pretty also shocking uh, accident that happens during a training exercise that was really uh, embarrassing to the the NYPD, but um, didn't ultimately it wasn't the fault of that of those officers. It just they all got blamed for it. And so they're all let go. So one of those people is a, a captain named um Danny Corcoran and he is recruited by his old boss to be on a secret team to take down this cartel and there's not a lot of information about it they just know that they're privately funded and that they don't have any rules (laughs) (laughs) so you may be thinking this sounds like a very James Patterson-y kind of thriller and you would be right because Marshall Karp wrote the NYPD Red series with James Patterson and so he's one of those those uh co-authors that James Patterson is kind of famous for. I have a theory that those co-authors, I tend to really like their books. In fact, I just read one that you talked about, Look Closer by David Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that book. I think that was the one. And he was a co-author at one point with James Patterson. And I I finished that book and I thought to myself, I need to seek out. I, so I will. I don't tend to like James Patterson himself, but I thought I have. I have noticed that I have liked it when they have been co-authors, right, with him at some point. So I, I That's just how thought Candace, to myself, I need to seek out some more of these authors because they tend totally. to write really good thrillers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how we found Candace Fox, uh, or how she got right. her start. Or, right. Or, There's somebody if, else originally, too. but I would have to look. Yeah. 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 I've been really. I, I think, I mean, I don't, I agree. I don't love reading his books personally, but I think he has a great eye for. Yes, yes. For and he knows how to write a page turner. I mean. Oh, for sure. I, I read some of his books back in the day that I just loved and couldn't put down. So I just don't read him much anymore. He just turns them out so quickly. It would be hard to keep up. So. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I don't tend to. But I, yeah. I was just, it's so funny that, that you say that about this, this book, because I was literally just thinking that. Yeah. Um, so I haven't read NYPD Red, but I, and I had no desire to, but now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to read this series because yeah, yeah. this book is really fun. So um, I think that Marshall Karp, it, it, like almost, almost more than, I don't want to say any other writer I've, I've read, but the fact, the way that he's, he's building up to these shocking moments is really a gift because my jaw has dropped several times Ooh. and not just, not just like oh wow that's interesting but completely shocked by the thing that's happened in this in the book and so i'm just so flummoxed by how much i'm enjoying this but i think thrillers so not me and thrillers tend the way you've described that book that sounds like a perfect audiobook to me because yes i think sometimes when i read thrillers like that i race to find out what happens next and miss some of the fun build up and stuff because I'm just so eager to find out and I think audiobooks force you to kind of just take it all totally, in and totally, they're more totally. surprising that way so yeah right. that would, I might have to check that one out on audio right and this this is I am doing it as an audiobook and I was that I actually wrote that down is I mm. think that this is would be great for a road trip if you have if you're trying to mm. you know appeal to lots of different interests mm-hmm. then uh this would be a good one because it's yeah. just 
very propulsive. So that is Snowstorm in August by Marshall Carp. Oh, so fun. I'm going to add that to my list. Yay. All right. Um, what I'm reading this week is The Roughest Draft by Emily Wibberly and Austin Siegmund Broca. And this is a husband and wife writing team. This is the first book that I think that they've written together. They're both authors in their own right, but this is their first book I think they wrote together. And it's also the first book that I've read by them. But I'm always fascinated by writing duos like this because I'm so curious about the process behind the scenes of how they split up the work. Does In this case, it's uh, it's a romance and it's about a cup or a man and a woman and I wonder do they alternate whose point of view because it's it switches back and forth every chapter and I think well maybe that's how they split up the work I don't know I just find yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. fun to me to think about how do you do that when you're writing with somebody else anyway so this book is about Katrina and Nathan who are uh, were a writing duo <laughs> so they these authors are writing about what they know um, but they wrote two books together and one, their first one was a, was fine, like it's, it sold moderately well. And then their second one was this huge breakout hit. You get the impression that it was sort of like a Gone Girl or Where the Crawdads Sing, where just everybody reads it, everybody's talking about it. The, the opening scene is uh, Katrina going to a book, local bookstore and having a conversation with the bookseller. And the bookseller says, well, of course you've read this book, and it's it's the second book that they wrote. But it's clear from the very beginning of this book that they, uh, Katrina and Nathan, no longer talk to each other and don't write together anymore and have no intention of, of writing together. And it's clear that there's something that happened in their past that caused all of this. So they, Katrina is dealing with a great deal of writer's block. She hasn't really written anything. And then Nathan wrote something that's kind of been a big flop. It's just been released, but it hasn't received much acclaim or any sales. So their agents, one of their, the Katrina's agent is actually her fiance as well, put their heads together and say, they're still under contract to write another book together. Let's kind of force them to do that now to revive their careers. I'm only 10% into the book, so that's literally <laughs> as far as I am. That's all I can say. Uh, but I, based on the back cover, it seems like they do go and write this book together. And when they wrote at least the second book, yes, they specifically say, when they wrote the second book, they went to a house in Florida together and spent uh, some amount of time there to to work on the book. And so my impression from the back cover is they're going to do something similar this time. And because they have this history that has caused them to not be speaking now, you know that that forced proximity is going to lead to maybe some romantic feelings, but also maybe some conflict because why aren't they talking now? So very curious to see what comes of it. It's funny because I have said a few different times that I've been more selective about my romance reading recently because it hasn't been working quite as well for me always. But after we recorded our last episode, I've been almost reading solely romance because <laughs> it was so fun to talk about it and kind of think about the books that I have loved in the romance genre and why I love those books. And so I have read a whole bunch of good ones recently. And so uh, this one got some good reviews and a podcaster I listened to really liked it. So I thought I'd pick it up. So I expect probably to hear more more what I'm reading this week in the upcoming months of romances because I'm kind of getting back into them. So that is The Roughest Draft by Emily Wibberly and Austin Siegmund Broca. Yay. Yay, so fun. 
So we already mentioned like we would love to hear from you if you have great organization or book collecting stories that you want to share with us. We would love to hear it. You can reach out to us by email at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us um, wherever you find your podcast. That really helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find the books that we talked about today as well as some of those links that we mentioned and all of the books we talk about in every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.